Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Happy holidays, folks, and welcome to the Touchdowns All Day podcast. I'm your host, John Barber. With me, co-hosting is Mr. Max Dawson. And as always, Crunk Mike producing with Vic in the shadows. Just Vic being Vic. So, ladies and gentlemen, what do you think? We got a new podcast popping. We got to get rolling. We got to get popping. You got to tell your friends. We got to do all that stuff again. Hashtag touchdowns all day on X, aka Twitter. And, uh, you know, let's get the conversation going. I think we had an incredible poll of the jams of the year and what parts of 2023 really meant a lot to the fans, to everybody listening. And, uh, yeah. I, I loved that poll. I had a lot of fun. I could not believe Freeze was number two. That blew me away. And I can't believe that The Deal was number one, frankly. Uh, I mean, it was a good song, but I just didn't realize that. Everybody loved it so much. I'm really happy about that. It's nice to get a winner out. We will talk about these songs on the podcast. We will talk about how these songs were built on the podcast coming up in the next year. We're going to have an incredible year. We have an incredible list of podcasting ideas. We're going to put together a year of amazing podcasting content for y'all going from every little nook and cranny of Disco Biscuit Universe concepts and ideas that you can even imagine. I can't even imagine all the ideas we have, honestly. There's, there's, it's just been such a great conversation talking about what we're going to do in 2024. Very exciting times. Super exciting. Um, you know, but as far as this rant goes, you know, it's it's today it's Christmas. So I don't know. What am I going to talk about on Christmas? You know, I'm just hanging out. I'm just hanging out. My kid's asleep. And I'm just chilling. And honestly, I kind of want to talk about college football playoffs. And there's nobody to talk to because nobody talks to anybody on the phone on Christmas. Nobody wants to talk about Christmas. So, you know, I think the big issue is why is Alabama in and Florida State not in? That seems to be the big question, right? And to me, it's obvious. I mean, Alabama's the third hardest football schedule. If you go to strength of schedule, Alabama's number three. Florida State's number 60. Michigan is like 47. Duke is harder schedule than Michigan. Um, BYU is harder than Michigan. Vanderbilt is harder than Michigan by a lot. I mean, I think Bama's going to wipe the table. Although Texas beat them already, and so hopefully Texas and Bama can have a good old, a good old rematch of the Colt McCoy championship game, and Bama's going to wipe the table with them. And that's just what's going to happen because Bama's number three strength is schedule. They've played these hard teams before. They've played harder teams before, and they've done it this year. Where these other teams are not doing that year after year after year after year. I mean, if you look at the Big Ten, what's up with the Big Ten? Like, or the Big 12, or whatever it is. What What is Big 12? You have Michigan is 60th strength of schedule, or, or 30, whatever they are. Um, Florida State's 50. Um, Penn State's 60. Like, what kind of... Who do you guys play? Michigan's 47. What teams are you guys playing? How do the Rutgers Scarlet Knights have a harder schedule 
than those three teams, you know? And why are those three teams all in the top 10 if they're not playing anyone all year? It just, it's crazy. And it's every single year in college football. I cannot wait for the 12-team playoff next year. Obviously, everybody agrees on that. I also agree. That is going to, college football is going to catapult to the best sporting event in the world, perhaps, except for maybe, you know, you know, what us Americans call soccer, you know, the, the, the World Cup is maybe still number one. But like, the NFL better look out. College football with a 12-team playoff is going to be an incredible fan event. The games are the most fun games in America. And when you play as many shows as I do, as regularly as I do, it's hard to get out of the country and see other things. It's hard to go to, you know, Dubai and see a World Cup game, whatever it was last time there was a World Cup. It was all the way over there. It's like, who has time to sit on a plane for two days when, I mean, look at the tour schedule. I, I have to be in California in like a month. I have to be in... New York in two days. I have to be in Philadelphia in four days for two nights. It's just, it's constant. It's a constant amount of shows. So if you guys are Disco Biscuit fans, these are, this is the year. 2024 is the year to go see 75 Disco Biscuit shows because, you know, it, it inherently unsustainable is rock banding. And you see all, you see all the rock bands. It's always unsustainable. So. If you get a chance to see a bunch of Disco Biscuit shows in a year, 2024 is a good year for that. A lot of people took advantage of that in 2023, but a lot of people were like, oh, COVID and stuff like that. And I get that. But, hey, 2024, this is a good year for everybody. And I'm excited that we're going to have a very, very solid crew producing podcasts for you all while, hey, I'm on the road and I'm going to be doing interviews from the road. And we're going to add some video to the podcasting and get really fancy with this thing. We'll get all sorts of shiny with this thing. And that's really exciting to me because honestly, the podcast is one of my favorite parts about this. So, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. Like, where else can I talk about, you know, Elon Musk buys X, buys Twitter for $44 billion. And... I'm talking to these guys who uh, make solar panels for a living and I'm just asking them questions. And they said that he could, with that amount of money, he could have bought enough solar panels. He owns a solar panel company, could have bought them from his own company and put solar panels up and powered all the electricity needs for Connecticut and New Hampshire and Rhode Island. Three states. That's all it costs. I mean, look, it's a huge amount of money, but still, I mean, didn't, isn't there like some kind of congressional thing where the, 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 uh, they misplaced $580 billion or something during PPP loans or something. So it's not that much money when you're in a government size business or whatever the government is, if it's a business, like when you're that big, it's not a gigantic amount of money. I mean, we're trillions of dollars in debt, 44 billion to get three states out of 47 off into the future of electricity. The fact that one guy could have done it, and instead he buys X, could have bought it from his own company, which would have made the revenue for that year obviously gigantic for that part of the company, which would have raised the stock price, which he owns a lot of the stock, which he probably would have made another $44 billion on the stock price. He could have probably done it again. 
he might have been in a situation where he could have rolled through a third of the United States as far as just putting up tons and tons of solar panels, which I've heard him say on numerous occasions, that's what he wants to do. And he had the opportunity to do it. And instead, he thought Twitter needed to be purchased and whatever happened with the Twitter files. I didn't, I didn't read the Twitter files. So that was a little bit too much work for me is to read all the Twitter file stuff. But, and I, I know people are on both sides of that. And, uh, you know, God bless whatever side you're on, you know, awesome. But seriously, dude could have bought enough solar panels for three different states to be on solar 24-7. And how cool would that be? How good would that be for the world? And for America, frankly. I mean, just for America. And for the smog in the East Coast. Couldn't be bad for that. So there's tons of... There's tons of confusion there. I feel confused about that. I feel like I feel like what is going on in the world when 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 that's happening. So hey, but I'm just a guitar player, you know. If I know anything, it's just because I heard somebody else say it. Because my reading comprehension is very low. Is your reading comprehension low? Because if your reading comprehension is low, you should listen to my podcast. Because I feel your pain. Because, I mean, people send me emails all the time, and they're like, why didn't you read the email? And I'm just like, don't want to admit that I, I, like, I lost interest in their email, like, four words into the email. <laughs> like, literally four words. Like, I feel like the way people are on TikTok, where they just scroll, scroll, scroll. I've been that way in email accounts for 15 years. That's how I do emails. I read the first four words. If I don't like the first four words, or or if I start thinking about something else, which is always what happens, it's not like I don't like the first four words. It's just that I immediately begin to think about something that has nothing to do with email. And then my eyes will follow the words of the email to the end of the email. But during that entire time, I will be thinking about something else. I will not even, none of those words will go through my eyeballs into a brain cell. None of them. And then I'll be like, okay, I read that email next, you know, <laughs> but literally I didn't, I thought about something in, in the back in some dreamy imagination part of my brain. And I did not, none of that reading went anywhere in like literally my eyeballs just followed the words while I thought about, I don't know, like, should we go to D minor and freeze? Has it been working? Should I, should I change the key of that part of the song? Do I like the vocals? Like, that's the kind of thing that'll happen. Like, they'll use the word freeze in the first three words of the email for some reason. Like, like uh, make sure to wear a jacket on this tour. It's freezing. And then they'll go into an entire paragraph that's very important. And once I read the word freeze, I'm like not reading anymore. And this is my life, folks. I think I got a zero in reading comprehension when I was younger. A zero. Have you ever gotten a zero in something? I got, like, good grades, except for that one thing. I would just get, well, penmanship, too. I did very poorly in penmanship. I don't even know if they teach penmanship anymore. I don't know if you need to write anymore, but... You know, if you watch enough TikTok, you'll think, hey, I got to learn how to write because this whole place is going to explode. Because TikTok is the most apocalyptic social network I've ever been on in my life. I mean, God, if any of those people were telling the truth, we'd be terrible. But none of them are. Have you ever thought of that? That no one is on TikTok? Literally everybody is full of shit on TikTok. All right. So um, that doesn't make it a bad site. Still fun. Still cool. 
I mean, you know, I'm great. I'm great at scrolling after four words. I've been doing it with emails for 20 years. So it's just another thing to lose interest in after four words. Um, so, hey, here we go. This is the Aaron Magner episode of the podcast. Aaron gets into some great stuff. And the interview is with Max and Aaron. It was done while I was in the studio, uh, literally with Aaron. I don't know when Aaron did the interview, but I was in the studio with Aaron and Mark. And they were also doing interviews with Max. And we were writing the new songs, which we're going to play for you this New Year's. So if you want to hear the new songs, go to the shows over New Year's. I will see you there. We are masked. Communicating. Folks, welcome back. Touchdowns all day with John Barber and co-host Max Dawson. Here we are back in the pod, folks. The comfortable place. The comfy pod, right? The blanket pod. Here we are. So let's talk about some show dates, Max. Let's talk about the upcoming Disco Biscuit run. What do you think? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, time is running out for you to get your tickets for the new year's run tickets still available at discobiscuits.com but they won't be for long 1228 palladium times square in new york city that's a late night show make sure you don't miss the biscuits triumphant return to their new york city home it's been a minute and this is one you're not going to want to miss 30th and 31st of course we're going back to philly we're going back to the scene of the crime formerly the electric factory now the franklin music hall two nights Three sets on New Year's Eve. John, I can't wait to see what you guys have in store, what sort of food you'll be throwing at us or people you'll be subjecting us to from the stage during New Year's Eve. Any previews? What can we expect? Great lighting, great light effects, great visuals, a lot of extra tension put into that part of it, a lot of leaning into this space opera vibe of 
technology and electricity and fun mm. and craziness. So, yeah, a lot of things to look forward to in that category. The band is playing great, so musically should be top notch. Uh, if you want to see the new songs, we'll probably debut them this week. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not. Are, but, are we allowed to say that, John? Uh, do, do we need to? What I mean, look, yeah, I, I played them at Baba G because I want them to be played as soon as possible. I don't want to, you know, they've already been played. They've already been played. So, but there are ones that have not been played, and those might also be played too. So, if you want to see some first plays of the biscuit new stuff, come check out those shows. And guys, lately, uh, first plays for some of these new songs, I'm thinking to be continued. They can sometimes be quite epic. And I yeah. think it's because the song is so new, the band doesn't know how to finish it. So you end up getting a 35-minute long version. So you're not going to want to miss out these three new tracks that the band, or more, or fewer, I don't know, that the band has in store for us to close out the year as if we have not already had uh, enough blessings in, in 2023. The Biscuit's about to bless us with uh, a, a few more surprises before the year ends. Van's then going to take a few weeks off, only a few, before embarking on the Why We Dance Tour, 34 shows, starting on the West Coast. And John, there's one gig that I am particularly excited for. That is Santa Cruz, January 28th, your triumphant return back to your former home. First time back in Santa Cruz since 2009. And John, apart from it being the place where you guys lived, it was the site of so many legendary shows. I'm thinking Palookaville. The Brookdale mm -hmm. Lodge, when you did the Magellan reprise for the first time, the Rio Theater, and of course, the Catalyst, where you guys will be heading back. Talk a little bit about how it feels to be headed back to Santa Cruz. Well, I used to live there, so I am going to have a very nostalgic day. I'm going to go to all the old spots, see if they're still there. I think a lot of them probably are. The Catalyst is an interesting venue because I used to show up to the Catalyst when my buddy bands were in town. Like Sector 9 used to show up, Umphreys, and I would like jam with them when they played in town. So I know everybody at the Catalyst. I know all the guys that work there. I know the whole scene. And uh, it's kind of was like a little bit of a family vibe for me when I was living in Santa Cruz. I used to hang out there all the time. So I'm excited to see the, the old crew and... I love playing on that stage. It's got a great sound system. I think that show is going to be fun. Santa Cruz always shows up in force for the Biscuits, as does most of the West Coast now. John, after Santa Cruz heading south, L.A., Fonda Theater, we are upgrading significantly from the Roxy. You're going to be at the Observatory in San Diego. It feels almost like having a second dessert to have you guys back in Southern California so soon after you burned down the region this last summer. For sure. Just if you want to go to that San Diego show, you have to. I don't know how many you have to buy tickets mm. right away because we we underplay San Diego. We never know how many people we have in San Diego and we always choose a venue that's too small. And um that happened last year, and it's going to happen again this year. This venue, the Observatory, yeah. is really cool, but it's also small. So that stuff's going to sell right away. Uh, so people also, if you need to know, if the tickets are sold out to the GA, sometimes there's VIP tickets left. So they'll announce it as sold out, but they're still, you know, because the VIP is like kind of a separate allotment. So 
they'll announce the show is sold out. They still might be VIP left. So you have to uh, for Santa for uh, San Diego. That's going to come into play. Maybe the Fonda as well. Uh, those shows might sell out quickly. And we've already seen three shows sell out in Boulder. That's two at the Boulder Theater, one at the Fox, the Tractor Beam gig. Right. So guys, this is not like the old days where you could just roll up and buy your ticket at the door. The Disco Biscuits are selling out shows nationwide. Please head over to discobiscuits.com slash shows, get your tickets in advance. And while you're there, check out the VIP packages. Huge perks. You get early entry to the venue, which means you're first in line to get the merch. You get to see the pre-show sound check, which I think is the most fun because you're going to end up getting like a full-on jam there. You might even get a bust out a song that the band hasn't played in a while. You get a group photo with the band, a limited edition show poster, commemorative laminate and lanyard. And then, you know, you get to stake out your spot on the rail or wherever you want to be for the show. So VIP packages, guys, great way to see the band, great way to support the band, a great way to get a lot of exclusive perks. Yeah, great way to support the band. And also, um, that group photo with the band, at some point in time, we're going to make like a book where it's just like all the group photos in, you know, one book. Uh, so it's 300 pictures it. of Chris Woody. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look, Chris Woody's in a lot of pictures. He loves the VIP. He, what are you going to do? He loves but the he, VIP. And people who do the VIP, they do the VIP again and again and again. There are a lot of return customers. Yeah, because you get like, you get to stake your space out on the floor in advance of other people getting in there, which is, I think, the big draw of the VIP for a lot of people. The big draw for me as the guitar player is um, I love the group photo. That's a big thing. I love the group photo. I love, they showed me, they sent me an email from the last tour of all the group photos. And so I looked through them all and I was like, man, this is so cool. Because you see all different people at every show. And, you know, Idaho, the group photo is really interesting. It was all different Idaho people that only went to the Idaho show yeah. and maybe a couple more there. So it's kind of cool. But also, and Mark spoke to this in episode 50 of the podcast, so if you missed episode 50, go back and take a listen to it. Mark really goes deep on what songs we play mm. in the VIP, and he doesn't want to like debut things in the VIP uh, for whatever reason. And I agree with his reasoning, but let me tell you, folks, I don't care. I, I want to play certain songs and then if we're on stage at the vip i will just start playing the song fully knowing that mark doesn't want to play it. okay but still like a walls blues and it was definitely like i want to play that song before we play it on stage with the band yeah and the you know before we play it in front of the full crowd and the vip is our opportunity to do that it's a smaller group it, we can start and stop the song if we want to um it just it's a good chance to uh you know see how how ready we are to play the song and i really like that personally that means a lot to me as someone who like wants to kill the song when the full room's in there like i want to play the song perfectly when everybody's in there so i do like having a cut at some of the rare plays and i know mark's against it he's aware of what i want to do so there's going to be a little bit of of like you know, some days we're going to do it. Some days we're not. We'll see. So uh, it, there's a little action going on the VIP if you're into it. Okay. If we're talking about the great Mark Brownstein interview from Touchdowns All Day 50, I got to ask, 
Mark talked about he wants he wanted to hear, excuse me, news from nowhere. He said he didn't yeah. necessarily even need to play it on stage. He just wanted to hear the Disco Biscuits play it. Are there any yeah. songs, John, that you would be eager to to hear the Disco Biscuits play? No, I'm on new songs all new the songs time. All the time. I'm, all right. I'm, I'm not in the. I'm not in the retro. No, but I, I'm also not a fan. Uh, you know, I'm in the band. I don't. I've never been to a show, so I don't have that that perspective. And I appreciate you guys have that perspective. We bust out old songs all the time. I know everybody loves it. I used to, uh, you know, yell "Smokestack Lightning" at every dead show I ever went to. Yes. And then when I finally heard Smokestack Lightning, I was like, eh, eh, you know, like, you know, I wish they played Dark Star or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, I've been in that position. I get that. But from my point of view, you know, as far as like what I want to do on stage is I just kind of love it that the band is progressing into new sounds and new music so aggressively. And there's just even with the 34 show tour, like even all the shows we played in 2023, which was a lot. Yeah. I still don't think I had enough time on stage to do all the things that I was trying to do. So um, it, it takes a while because there's a lot going on um, just with like Aaron alone, just, just like doing like Aaron has so much stuff that he's capable of doing at any point in time Yeah, that to you, you need to hear, he almost needs to find it himself in some kind of jam situation then you need to recognize it, tell him about it, and then reprocess it with the band knowing it's happening. And that process is, it's interesting because in this, you know, episode 51, we have the Aaron Magner interview, and he talks about a lot of his process for how to get these different sounds and feels. Yeah. And, uh, and I think there's just so much there that we we could work, you know, I want to work on that kind of stuff all the time. I'm very inspired by that. Stay tuned, guys. Coming up later in this episode, as John mentioned, we'll hear from Aaron himself. He's going to talk to us about what he's calling the awesome button, which I am calling the sound of 2023. Uh, he's going to talk about the process, how he created this sound, how he drops it, and his general approach to playing the music of the Disco Biscuits in 2023. But John, you just mentioned your desire to keep playing the new songs, to keep experimenting, to keep pushing the boundaries of your art. Well, that's a great segue into what just happened not too long ago, the 8x10 in Baltimore. You and Mark took the stage, uh, interlocking sets, Mark DJ, uh, DJ Brownie sets, you in your Baba G incarnation. Wanted to talk a little bit about that because for those of you who were there or if you heard the bootleg stream, you got to hear Biscuit's favorites reimagined. You got to hear the debuts of a few new songs. So talk to me a little bit about what Baba G is and how you differentiate it from the Biscuits and from everything else you're always working on. Well, B Baba G is this idea that I have that essentially I can put the computer in a setting where I can kind of take music and put it through the buttons and then use the buttons to change the music. So, and, and this is all the music. This is the drums. This is the, the, the keyboard sounds, the pads, the light stuff, the bass lines. And it's, it's so I'm basically able to improv dance music, techno music, 
without any pre-recorded backing tracks. So when you're at a Baba G show and you're listening to something and you're like, oh, this is a great song. I wonder what song it is. It's not the song. It's me playing the song on kind of a custom homemade instrument that is filled with different techno sounds, which I've sort of coerced into the song that you think it is. The vocal sample might be something that I took out of the song that you're thinking of, but the drums and the bass and all the other parts of the song are uh, are being built or dropped, if you will, or, or just sequenced live. Um, so it's almost like a remix machine, if you will. Like I'm, I'm able to remix something on the fly and I do it live. But Babaji is something that, you know, it's, it's hard to play this instrument. It, there's a lot going on. So, and I'm building the instrument as we go. So I basically decided that uh, one time when I had all the new Space Opera songs, I actually went and played a show. Um, you know, there was like a fish show at the beach and I played a venue next to it. And I played the new songs because the Babaji controller broke. <laughs> and so I basically just dropped the new songs like a DJ, but I have versions of the new songs without the guitars and without the vocals yes. that I, I bounce so that I have that so i ended up playing the guitar and singing over the top of the rest of the song and these were the demos that i made these aren't the band playing it but these was actually the demos that i make in the studio of the song before the band even gets the song yeah and so those demos i think are really cool and um or i wouldn't have sent them to the band in the first place you know like the demo for plan of attack is dope yeah. it's different from what the band does by a little bit but it's super cool so Baba G allows me to play those kind of tracks, and then I play biscuit versions of the tracks too, and then I play the kind of like playing the instrument as I go, and I mix the three together now, and I think I have a show. I think it's actually a show at this point because the mixture of all those different things. When people show up um, on stage, they want to see me play guitar, they want to see me sing a little bit. So now those people are happy. I'm happier doing that because it's actually. It's actually more fun for me a little bit because, you know, it's it's just more fun. You know, playing Babaji is cool, but playing Babaji and then shredding a guitar solo and then singing the chorus and then going back to Babaji is very, very fun. And it's almost nerve wracking because there's so much going on. I would imagine um, you're essentially doing a one man band situation there. I expect you to have like cymbals on your feet and a harmonica <laughs> strapped to your neck and stuff like that. But instead, you're operating yeah. multiple computers. And yeah. uh, it, what I loved about <laughs> this particular performance was we've got the new, the, the technology that you basically invented for this, and an old friend who joined us, the Gibson, coming out of mothballs to be uh, played on stage. Uh, what, what motivated you to break out the, uh, the old hollow body? Well, I mean, it lives right here. It's, right, it, it's my studio guitar, so... The guitar solos on the new album are all cut with the Gibson. The, I don't bring it on tour anymore because it just is so heavy yeah. and big and bulky that it's kind of like a little bit much to play. The, I mean, when the Biscuits play, it's like four hours a night, yeah. right? It's a, it's a lot to carry. But also, it's only 22 fret and... I really, really need 24 frets. I don't, I don't know how many guitar players out there agree with that. A lot don't. But I need those 
high notes all the time. And so when I play a 22 fret guitar, and I think the Gibson is like 22, but really it's 21 when you really want the sound quality. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it, I love the Parker, the 24 fret of the Parker. I really like the PRS, Nick's PRS that I'm playing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. The Gibson, I just decided to retire it from the stage. You know, it's such a beautiful guitar. The tone is incredible. And I have to have a guitar for the studio where the tone's incredible. Yeah. So it, it's really working out. The guitar solos on this new album, I'm very proud of all of them. There's huge ones on, there's like eight huge guitar solos on the new album. Um, so people who say this is a techno album, you know, is there another techno album ever with eight huge, massive guitar solos on it? Let alone the story and the characters yes. and the other stuff. But like, who puts that many huge guitar solos on an album? So it's just because playing the Gibson is great, and we we got we got really creative on that. Well, it was nice to hear the combination of the the new songs, some of the uh, the demos. It felt it felt like we were getting some remixes uh, and, and even yeah. the debuts of a few new songs. So you know, the set list had a lot of the space opera songs on there. Shocked, who's in charge? Wormhole, twisted in the road, deal, freeze. But then mixed in, we had a few of the new tunes that maybe we'll just gloss over for the time being, so that uh, everyone has something to be surprised by in New yeah. York and Philadelphia. But John, why don't we take a right. why don't we take a don't listen? Catch you there. Why don't we take a listen to uh, a little segment from the show? We've got queued up here uh, from I think your second set <laughs> from uh, where you uh, you're, you're uh, on stage. You've got more computers in front of you than uh, <laughs> that were used to launch the Apollo rocket program. You've got the Gibson. I'm just going to stop talking and hit play, and you do the talking. You tell me what we're hearing. Okay, great. All right, so that was the guitar solo for the deal. What is going on with the rhythm track there? That was really cool. All right, so now I'm now I'm making the deal live. And I'm playing a little guitar still at the same time. But I did a crossover from what was the biscuits playing the deal on the album. Um, but I had to pull out, you know, of the section before the actual guitar solo from the album comes in because I forgot to take that out of the bounce by mistake. So I knew that was coming. 
And so I, I threw the guitar solo in where the chorus was, looped it, jammed for a while, and then I brought in the Baba G band, if you will. And now you're not listening to any Biscuit Jam at all. You're listening to all Baba G, like live created techno and me playing guitar. Okay, so earlier you mentioned that this clip has some of your new style of playing guitar on display. Oh, yeah. yeah. What did you mean by that? I had like a weird breakthrough the other day uh, when I was just practicing. So the, the weird thing about Baba G is it became my like practice for the Biscuits setup when I wasn't doing Baba G shows. But I would use it to practice for the Biscuit runs because it has all the songs in it and yeah. I got to rehearse them, you know? And so the other day I was practicing the Biscuit songs on the Babaji setup. I was like, all right, this is cool. And I just came to this realization that, um, that I should kind of lean into the motion of the guitar solo more with little breaks than like just straight shred. Okay. Is maybe how you could explain that? I could explain it. I don't quite know how to explain it, but it felt like uh, like a light bulb went off in my head or something. So now, when you listen to the way I'm playing guitar, it's a little bit like more about the tastiness of the licks, like relative to each other as we go, and then I'll take little breaks in there to let the tastiness stick in a little bit, and it's a little bit less of just like a full on shred fest. Okay. So you're able to do segues between songs in Baba G mode. Yeah, I just changed keys. I changed tempos there a little bit. It's a little faster. I feel like I'm probably transitioning somewhere right now. Um, and I'm still playing guitar at the same time. Um, the thing about it is I don't really know what song I'm doing because I didn't have a set list. So I'm kind of looking around on the computer, like trying to figure out what I could go into the next time. Like, I'm trying to figure out what vocals I should do next. You know, what song with vocals would work. And I think I'm on my way into a new song. So I'm kind of like trying to speed up and work out the key to get ready for uh, a new song called uh, Dino Baby. Okay. Well, make sure you tell me when to cut out so that I don't give away anything. But... I'm really enjoying this, so I'm content to let it keep rolling. Uh, especially, yeah, let it roll. Yeah. Now we're going considerably faster. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, now I brought in the other track. So it's got like a... 
It's just like a fun little thing right now. I think at some point in time, once I get the Babaji controls off of my fingers and onto my feet so I can Ooh. keep playing guitars and control the thing, I think it's going to get really good. But I, I, I don't know. It's a lot of like, like, I just want to hire someone else to do that because it's like, I don't know. It's so much work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, you do like hard mode. <laughs> I think I'll fade. Anybody out there? <laughs> I think I'm going to fade out there so that there's still something uh, to surprise yeah. everybody over New Year's. But uh, do we have any plans oh, yeah. to keep the Baba G project going? I know that you're going to have your hands full this winter between biscuits, Berry Moon, writing new material. But w- could we expect to see Baba G out on the road again? Oh, yeah. It was interesting because Mark was really the impetus of me doing it. He called me up. He was like, I got this DJ show. We're looking for some support. You want to come out and do Baba G? Could be cool. And I was like, yeah, it sounds great. And that's how the show happened is Mark is kind of making DJ Brownie a priority. And he's honestly, he's awesome. He was DJing. I was watching his mix from the balcony at the April 10 and it was killer. He was doing key changes and vocal drops, all sorts of like real DJ shit on yeah. CDJs. He has CDJs. I mean, he's a legitimate it, DJ. Yeah. And he was getting howls and all sorts of like huge crowd responses. And then I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go up there and it's, it's not going to, no one's going to howl. And then I got howls and stuff for the Baba G stuff. Yeah. So. So I feel like as far as the 8x10 show goes, it was really great. The crowd loved it. And the two of us actually jam well together because, you know, we obviously know how to do a show together. Yeah. And we've done it a million times. And, he, you know, he's the Baba G thing is like it's techno, but it's kind of a little bit. There's singing, there's guitar playing. So it's a little bit of a show in that regard. And then Mark comes on and does an awesome DJ set. And then if, that to me, it really works. I think the chemistry there is great. So we're going to mix those two projects together a lot more. Um, and honestly, that was the first time I ever did Baba G with a guitar and the vocals. And so it took me a little bit to make all that like kind of jive. And that's just going to get better and better and better. So hopefully I'll get a lot of shows for this project because I really like it. And essentially I'm just practicing for the biscuit show. So it's a win, win, win. If you really think about it from that point of view it's a it's a triple win any chance we'll ever see some older material in the baba g set i know that you've said that you are strictly here for the new songs but you know will we ever see a baba g a c to b or a a baba g spray paint or something like Mm -hmm. that those are interesting calls i mean look techno i'm in has been requested yeah um i think i could do Babaji techno I'm in right now. I don't even think I would need to do much to do that. Um, it has all those, it's aware of the harmonies and the chord progressions and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it might be a little sparse. Sometimes it's a little sparse, but uh, the sparseness will get filled in as I learn to control some of those greater things at the same time while doing everything else. For me, it's a lot of practice is really what needs to happen. As far as old stuff goes, ironically, you really like the freeze from Babaji. That was the drum machine and the bass from the original demo, and that's it. Really? Yeah, it was just an experiment. I was just like, I had, you know, a very limited time to do the Babaji setup last week, 
And I just wanted to play some of the demos instead of the band versions of songs. I had the band version of Freeze, but when I dropped it, I dropped a version of it, which was basically just the old like drum machine. The Freeze was very much like a, a, a swing drum machine beat that I made with a bomb, bomb, bomb and the bass. Yeah. And that's all it was. And the rest of it was all me playing guitar and singing, which I thought was very sparse and cool. And Shocked was also the like pre-demo original track that we wrote over when we wrote Shocked. So I have this like flexibility with that project to go into some demo, like we're doing on the podcast. Like we're going to go through Shocked on the podcast here on Touchdowns All Day. And we're going to sh- play for you guys the originals, the original sound files, and what we wrote over, and uh, you know how that turns into how Alan approaches that, and then how the the old MPC beats get replaced with Alan's beats, and how that all works, and what it sounds like. And so, Bob G, I also do that live on stage. You know why not? I love yeah. the fact that through Bob G, people are getting a chance to hear these songs in all of their different iterations, because by the time, and this is as John alluded to, something. For you all to look forward to in 2024 on touchdowns all day by the time you hear these songs they've gone through multiple generations from you know concepts floating around in joey and john's heads to demos that might just be you know sparse drum and bass with vocals to uh versions that bring aaron in maybe then mark and alan then you get cloud chord in the mix and then by the time they're out on stage, these songs have, have come so far, but we're starting to see that these songs can live simultaneously in all of these different formats. And uh, that's, a, that's a pretty cool thing about the Baba G Project. I really did love the freeze. That heavy drum and bass sound, very sparse, 
It reminded me of the first demos that you and Joey shared with me way back in the day that I originally fell in love with. And of course, we've all seen Freeze, you know, the runner up for the 2023 song of the year, John. Crazy, we've seen right? Freeze come so far from its first versions on stage. But just wait till you guys get to hear what Freeze sounded like a year before the Biscuits even played it live. John, I would love to share with everyone the great interview I did with our friend Aaron Magner, sat down with Aaron and asked him to talk to me a little bit about a sound that I kept hearing all fall and that kept coming up time and time again in some of the most exciting highlights of uh, the, the tail half of the year. And so here we are joined in the studio by Aaron Magner to talk about the awesome button. The sound of 2023. If you listen back to the Jam of the Year nominees, you might notice something that pops up again and again in a lot of the most exciting musical moments of 2023. Over on Facebook, Bill Sinnott described it as that wild bubbling effect that Magner's been using on jams lately to raise things to another level. We've heard it all over the place this fall. In Indianapolis, during One Chance to Save the World. In St. Louis, during Vesilios. At Bisco Land, during the Orc theme. Burlington, during Shadow. Hartford, Evolve, Miami, the I-Man with the conga jam in it. I could go on and on. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention what I think was the definitive example. That's the transition from Hot Air Balloon into the deal. Paps Theater, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, September 22nd. 2023. Joining us today to get to the bottom of what we're hearing is the man himself, Aaron Magner. Aaron, welcome back to Touchdowns All Day. Hey, thanks, Max. You look a lot different than the previous guy. Yeah, um, you know we're uh, we're 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 making improvements here. We had to clean our house, so uh, Aaron, <laughs> I've been talking to you about this sound for a while. The fans have been talking about it for all fall. First things first, what do we call this thing? Does it have a name? Um, I think that we the the fans have decided to call it. Uh, or, or was it I that called it the awesome button? I think they said, like, that thing is awesome, whatever you're doing. And I was like, it's literally a button. And now we just refer to it as the awesome button because uh, that's kind of all that it is. I mean, the work goes in uh, advance. And then at the show, it's just time to hit the awesome button at the most awesome time. That's the important part. Okay, so you've just kind of hit on all the things I wanted to talk to you about. The first yeah, question yeah, I was interview gonna... over. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. Let's wrap up. I was going to ask, is this something that you create at home in the studio, in the rehearsal room, or something you come up with live on stage? But it sounds like you said this is something that you pre-encode or pre-prepare uh, before you get on stage, and then it becomes a matter of when you drop it. Talk, talk to me about how you how you create this when you originally did. Cool. Um, well, there's lots of lots of different ways to create it. It's effectively a riser, is what it's referred to as, right? Okay. And it does 
<clears throat> exactly that. It goes from one point and terminates at a certain point, one bar, two bars, four bars, eight bars later, and it rises up the whole time. And with that ascension, you get, um, you know, the excitement from the crowd and you know that something is about to happen. And then the drop happens and you yeah. get into, you know, the beat, right? Um, you know, it, the longer that you go, the more anticipation and excitement that you have. Sometimes they're just little bells and whistles that you could paint into a, you know, okay, this is, we finished a round of 16. That's frequently, you know, electronic music, us on stage, you think in terms of uh, dividends of four, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Four, eight, 16, 32s. And so if you can accentuate a riser in a certain section there, um, when you get to bar, let's say 33, it has a lot more excitement as you go around again um and so live for years i've been doing what's effectively you know any one of my synths a pitch bend right so you you hold out a note or you play whatever rhythm that you're playing and then you go to the pitch bend knob and you make sure that the pitch bend has an interval of a full octave or two full octaves which is a variable and then you just kind of try and glide it all the way up as um linearly as you can now all of these parameters right number one there's a lot of music going on. I'm thinking about what needs to happen in the next section. Number two, I'm playing a keyboard that like, you know, lots of components can happen. And as the sound gets manipulated, it's not just like a pure sine wave. There's a lot of other shit going on in it. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what's going to happen as the note sustains for that long, or for that matter, what elements kind of begin to appear as you bring the pitch up. Or for that matter, if I'm doing it manually, um, how linear that, you know, curve is going to be just from how, you know, minuscule I can move that tiny little pitch bend knob up one or even two octaves, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I'll do that live because it works with what I'm currently playing and, you know, what I'm going to want to go to and I'll just and then it drops. With a pre-recorded riser, mm-hmm. you can get a lot more um, molecular with it, you know, and add in a lot of elements. Bring in a noise filter, bring in a, a pumper, a side chain, something that ducks every beat. Right? Okay. You can do a lot of these things. You could adjust an LFO. I, I, I could demonstrate some of these things. Please do. I, I think that would be better. Uh, Okay. 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 That would have been easier. Um, so, so you have like, here's just a, a, a single tone, right? It's, there's nothing really there. And here is a single tone with a pitch bend over the course of four bars, same tone, right? Here it is with the pitch bend. Right. So you can already tell that there's like that riser element happening. Like you could feel that like, oh, there's a beat coming, you know, coming in or something exciting yeah. is about to happen. That's you put like in the, the pumper. This sure. Here comes the pumper. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you could get more tricky with it, you know, and these are again the things that happen once you're able to do this stuff in advance. 
you know, just, okay. just the, 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 right. Lots of different concepts here. And there's tons of risers. So here's the one that, you know, um, I was doing a lot in October. It has some drums in it. Right. Amazing. Um, so you have you know. an actual beat layered into that as well. Yeah. So again, there's lots of there, that one happens to have, you know, it's it's not a beat. It's got a little bit of like a, a, a snare fill going in. Right? Okay. Here's one that's just like wind noise. Let's bring that volume up a little bit. Ah. I think you used that one in the dribble at Bisco Land. That is not good. <laughs> right. Good ears. So this is why I'm referring to it as like the awesome button, right? It's kind of like it all serves effectively the same purpose, right? And for me, you know, I've got a few in here. I could continue to build the catalog. Here's another one that I was using the last tour. Right? Wow. So so lots of different ways of um, of accomplishing the riser. For for the album, um, DVS Cloudcord asked me to um, make him a bunch of risers, you know. So it was basically that having fun in my studio for a whole day, creating tones that would go from one place to another and ascend. You know? <laughs> 
the same. That's the same one. That's the same one. Here we go. You know, this one, he asked me to do like a really long one. Okay. You know, that goes on forever. This one is... Sounds like the same thing. Oh. It gets an LFO filter at the end. Right? Okay. Here's a different one. Sounds similar. That's going down. That's called a downshifter. This is going to get faster. Shit like that. Okay. So you create all these for CloudCord for use on the album, but do they then translate into your live setup? Um, it did. So, you know, again, they're carefully constructed within the album and you know there's effects that are put on them they have to come out at the same time at the right time they have to come in effectively at the same time um and yeah there's some processing so i thought it would be fun since we're done the album to be able to take some of these things that have been processed and use them in the point of the song that we're now playing live that we did all this work in the studio for. So like, you know, in one chance to save the world, like where we keep in all the weed in this town, that's kind of a break. Yeah. That's a perfect point to got to know beat, 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 you know? Gotcha. Um, yeah, so I was doing some of that, like I extracted the stems from uh, One Chance, from The Deal, um, and just kind of playing around with it. Again, it, it it all serves the same purpose. It's just to garner excitement, you know, and then the big cryo comes at, you know, the downbeat, the big drop comes at the downbeat, that type of stuff. That was going to be my um, It's a little question. trick. Yeah, it's a little trick. It's just a little trick. I mean, you know, and the before you ask your, the follow up questions, I mean, this is kind of one of the crux reasons why pre-produced music is so energetic uh, sometimes comparatively to, you know, live musicians doing it, because you get to go in and really fine tune what is it about that white noise you know think about it like that one that i played earlier was mm-hmm. right like that's all it is but you know you want to get the right <laughs> and yes. in order to right and in order to you know to do that you sit there in the studio for you know however long and you make it and you make it fit really well within the track and when you do that for all of the components of a track pre-produced music can have a lot of power you know in order to do that type of stuff that requires some precision um it doesn't always land live i was going to say uh before you sort of inadvertently answered this question, you talked about how I was going to ask you to explain the why, but I think you just did because it's a great way of just taking the temperature in the room up. I mean, it's a riser. You are literally lifting the energy in the room yeah. headed into a peak. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, there's, there's other tricks that, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes I do, but you see a lot on the EDM stage, right? Which is like, everybody get your hands up, hands up, you know, and just like yeah. moving your, your hands to suggest that this would be the time to start jumping up and down. This is just the sonic version of that. Okay. I didn't realize there was a time when we weren't supposed to be jumping up and down, but that might just be me. I know um, your thing is always jumping up and down. Yes. Um, <laughs> so... You mentioned these were created in conjunction with the studio work on the album. 
are these versatile? Can you drop the one that you yeah. created for one chance in the deal and the one from the deal in uh, shocked or what, anywhere you want? Do they go from track to track or are you kind of limited in where you can use them? No, I mean, they don't really have much note value to them, right? Because they're um, all, they're always ascending, right? So it doesn't necessarily matter where it starts and sort of doesn't matter where it ends up. Again, these are the, you know, precision things that you can dial in with a track in advance, but they are somewhat swappable. And, you know, you look at a, a site like Splice or something like that. I mean, I, I can't imagine there are many producers that are out there that when they need this trick and this trick is in almost every single electronic track, right? You know, yeah, some of them, you know, go in and make this and spend the time to do it. But there's so many that are just like up there and pre-made. There's some software that will now combine oscillators and noise filters and some drum stuff that will kind of like help do this for you. Um, So, yeah, I mean, very interchangeable. You can just kind of like drop it in and be like, this is what needs to happen in this moment. And, And then it's just a timing thing. Is it one bar? Is it two bars? Is it four bars? And that kind of is the biggest trick because it needs to terminate at a very specific point. And in order for it to terminate at a specific point, you have to start it at the right point. I've heard times when you've started the awesome button, but it almost sounds like you realize now is not the right moment and you abandon ship on it. Oh, yeah. You'll maybe come back to it later and it'll hit on the exact right time. In moments like that, is it a matter of you just knowing where the other three are going where you guys collectively are or are you guys communicating on the uh talkback channel or planning or in any way saying like okay it's coming now are you just communicating musically verbally or is it just a matter of of esp of being locked in with the other guys yeah i mean for the most part we you know, you see us talking into the talkback mics, and there are sometimes musical things. Mostly the talkback mics are not used for musical things. <laughs> you know, okay. it, it's it's a, the majority of the times that you see any one of us talking into the mic, it's to adjust the level that we weren't able to, um, you know, suggest that that's what we needed up or down or whatever with our hands and needed to use our our voices in order to express that or you know hey don't forget that third section is coming up that we always miss something like that um so we'll we'll rarely call like here comes a riser right and i think part of the um maturity of playing together as a band for you know multiple decades is having that ability to know that about each other and so if i come in with it at the wrong time there's two reasons number one i came in with it at the wrong time (laughs) you know like (laughs) i could and and once you start the awesome button you know like if i know immediately that i came in at the wrong time i'll just i'll just take the the fader on it and grab and throw it down so you might catch it for a split second Mm -hmm. and hopefully no harm no foul that was not the right time sometimes i start it and like a bar later i realize you know Either A, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit and I don't think that anybody's going to jump on this or I don't think that Alan has realized that, you know, I've started this and it's just going to happen and have no effect. So yeah. am I, should I play it out? Sometimes I play it out and, you know, it doesn't have that effect. And sometimes I play it out and like that whole room is, is bouncing, right? Yeah. I associate 
the awesome button with the sound of the second half of this year. I guess really since Austin, I think we started hearing it. And like I said, so many of the jams that were in contention for jam of the year feature a version of the awesome button, including some like nice. the, the dribble from Biscoland that I didn't realize that, oh, that was wind great. sound. Um, that was the moment that I fastened in on immediately. I didn't realize it was a riser. I didn't realize it was the awesome button. But the question I have is, it sounds the sounds in the patches that you play seem to have a life cycle of their own. So first they're mm. rare and surprising and you know, you'll be in the crowd or you'll be listening to the stream. You go, what the hell is that? And then they mm. become regular and recognizable. Sometimes fans even come up with a name for them or, you know, we find out that it's called the gates of hell or, you know, mm. that it becomes a thing in the community that mm-hmm. people talk about mm-hmm. and they say, Oh, it was a great jam. Magner did gates of hell, mind melting. But then it usually inevitably happens that you sort of peek on them, start to become sure. less enthused with them. They fall by the wayside, sure. fade off. Sure. That patch feels like 2004. I was going to say, like, do, do you feel like they have a natural shelf life or is it just really for you when it no longer sounds fun and exciting? Um, I think that there's a certain inspiration that you get when... Uh, you play a sound that you haven't played before when you play a sound that you're familiar with, but haven't explored in a long time, like an old friend. Um, And I think, you know, to the opposite of that, there's times when like, you know, God, I've been playing, this has been my default patch for, you know, three years, or sometimes it's just, you know, I'm going to get a new keyboard. You know, so those sounds, you know, the sound, the the, the sound that uh, strobe lights and martinis was on, you know, I don't have that keyboard anymore. So whatever I play it on now is sort of an emulation of that, like gated arp sound. Right. You know, that used to be a keyboard sound where I would play one note that would go kink, 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 right? And you change the note value to kink, 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 third note, then kink, 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 right? Now I've got to like do it kind of mock style with like, you know, playing each little eighth note, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, each time in order to get that. And there's like a phaser on it that kind of gives that that uh, variation so um yeah sometimes the keyboards change but you know i think that everything is fluid um you know and music should be fluid so aside from you know some staples like piano is always going to be there organ is always going to be there some form of Rhodes Wurlitzer electric piano, you know, like that's, these are my instruments. And then sometimes I get a new synth. Sometimes I want to change tones. Sometimes I want to, you know, go back and revisit tones that I haven't felt, you know, heard in years and everything's fluid. Did you, apart from the, the risers, which had such a distinct presence throughout the, the back half of the year, any other sounds, tones, patches that when we look back at 2023, you'll think of and remember as being part of the instrumental to the sound of this year? Um, sure. So I definitely think that this was the year that um, we as a band kind of dialed in this 
tractor beam style sound, right? And when you think back to the days that we were doing, you know, this tractor beam segment within the set where we were trying to emulate, you know, these classic mixes. Um, and that really kind of like taught us about what our roles and responsibilities are um, within a certain part of a song, right? So, so with that comes a couple of tools. One of those tools is called a sidechain pedal, right? And that, that sidechain, it basically, it's that... It, it, okay, it, it I call that the throb. The, the throb, the pumper, right? Yes. It, 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 it pumps the sound. So that's actually a pedal. And, you know, the thing that feeds into it that tells it where the, where the throb point is, yes. it, it's the kick drum. Um, okay. You know, so there's a kick drum or, or a click fed into it, right? And that will be the, um, the beat. And then on the pedal, you can kind of adjust the threshold, the release. How quickly is it pumping up? How quickly does it release, right? And I have the ability to kind of control that on the fly. Some sounds sound better through it than others. So I found this like kind of cool combination a perfect example of it is uh what i use on round round right i've been okay. using this this arpeggiator on the virus a lot it's been a patch that i have frequented in 2023 and that coupled with this sidechain pedal with the pumper the throbber whatever we're calling it now um it has definitely been like a staple but i enjoy going back and listening to shows and you know i, I don't think i've ever really like talked about this of certain periods of time being indicative of the tones that you know i'm playing right and i think about that a lot in you know i could name the year of a grateful dead show like you know pretty much to almost to the month just based on the keyboards alone right yeah definitely um, it's interesting and it, it's it, a lot of the time mark's and john's sounds are fairly consistent obviously right. you know john with a solid body versus a hollow body mark with sure. five strings versus four pedals, et cetera. Um, you know, you can obviously hear big differences from the late nineties to today, but it's really you and Alan, uh, and, and the synthesized sounds that you guys draw on that really tell us that we're listening to 2023 yep. versus 2007 versus 2016. Sure. There are certain features of our electronic instruments that, that, um, really shine when there's a master clock associated with it right mm -hmm. and you know like anything there's pros and cons when you have something that makes life easier if you want to sync up these arpeggiators perfectly to the music that is happening with the band there needs to be one master clock that basically says i don't care where you were or where you're going but right now everybody is playing at 123.5 including all the synthesizers that are getting that same piece of information, mm -hmm. including Alan's like, you know, he could be playing like a hi-hat pattern and then loop it, right? I, mm -hmm. On the same token, once that master clock comes in, which Alan controls, um, all my keyboards will snap to that, you know, and now everything makes sense. My delays are synced. My arpeggiators are synced. If I want to loop something on the virus so I could take my hands off of it and think about where I'm going to go next, I can do that and it will loop in perfect time. When there's not a master clock, which there's not a master clock, you know, 80%, 85% of the time in our shows so that we could have more 
more flexibility and go wherever and not be, you know, so conditioned to just being on this one metronome, basically, um, you know, then then I can't do all those tricks as well. And you'll see the limitations of that if you look back to shows from like, you know, 2016 or whatever, where you see me like tapping the same button over and over and over again, that's a tap tempo button, you know? And so I'll tap it, I'll get my synthesizer into the tempo that we're playing, but like windshield washers of a bus, like, you know, it's in sync for, you know, 30 seconds and then one will kind of start to fade and then they're completely out of sync, then they're completely out of phase and kind of they'll sync back up, right? Yeah. So you you said that it's only... I think 20% of the show these days where you're on that master clock, is that just the, when you go to the side chain for the tractor beam jam, or is it just a a random 20 minutes interspersed throughout where you guys decide to go that way? It depends. It's all on Alan, you know, and um, it's, it's really like when when he wants to, you know, clock himself in, sometimes it's to check like, oh, let me just make sure that I'm in the range that I need to be in. And sometimes he does it. I mean, you should ask him for, you know, for reasons that he has to at that time in order to do whatever he's trying to technically do. Um, and I'm able to see on my synths and computer that like, oh, Alan now went to a master clock, you know. Gotcha. This is our 2023 year in review episode on touchdowns all day. And uh, I'm asking everybody looking back Mm -hmm. over the last 12 months, so many highlights. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, are you going to ask me to just one? I was going to say, what are some of the ones that burn brightest in your memory? I'd like to respond to that more in a general way, because this was a really big year of growth for us. And I think that, um, you know, yes, we can have conversations about, oh, this was the best show. Oh, this was also the best show. Oh, all 10 of these were the best show, maybe the second best, a couple of them, right? That's a really fucking good year. If, if there's, you know, debatable which show was great, and then once, you know, a poll comes out or somebody decides like, hey, this show is great, this is going to be the show of the year, and there's like, yep, that show was great, you know, so was this other one, but I'm not going to, you know, this isn't going to be the hill I'm going to die on, the also great show. Yeah. Um, I think that that's awesome. There was like a lot of... um I think there was there was a lot of growth. There was a lot of emotional growth. There was a lot of dynamic, um, like group dynamic growth that the band had this year. We were all after the same goal at the same time, um, as opposed to other points in our careers where, you know, we might have been after the same thing, but we weren't all there together, um, you know. And, and so this year has just been again, understanding each other a little bit better, understanding ourselves a little bit better, understanding what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, I also think most importantly, there's like a sense of of pride of, you know, what we have already accomplished, knowing that like, we want to accomplish more. Um, and rather than, you know, taking an angle of like, oh, we've been doing this for, you know, super long, and we're not playing arenas yet, you know, just being grateful for what we have done for the last three years the fact that we've been able to sustain a career as musicians the fact that we've been able to sustain a you know avid loyal fan base for as long as we have and you know most importantly about the year 
because of all these things, we have made, you know, partially new fan base that, you know, is piggybacking on this existing fan base. We've reactivated an older fan base, you know, that might have uh, been dormant for a decade or two and is now suddenly reactivated. I think that these are all amazing things and, you know, just kind of a, a testament to the power of this community. That's great. So looking back on 2023, did you have a favorite song to play all year? Something that just got you excited every time you saw it on the set list? I have some theories, just seeing how you've approached certain songs, but what's from your standpoint, what has been the most fun? I really like playing Falling. Is that your theory? No? No, but I understand that because I think Falling definitely has uh, your fingerprints all over it and... uh, and it's just a fun song to hear, so I would imagine it's a fun song to play as well. I mean, I like all the new songs. I particularly like the songs like uh, uh, Freeze, where I don't need to think, you know, and we can just kind of like immerse ourselves and find the groove because we're not thinking about a complex section that's coming up or the fact that there are three different, you know, parts that are happening or, oh God, I got to move to this keyboard and I didn't bring the patch up and fuck, you know, here we go. I don't know. It's you're, it, you're making me choose like between like a lot of my, a lot of my favorites. And what's so awesome is that we do have like all these great favorites, right? Like can we just take a second to acknowledge the fact that not only do we really like these songs, you know, that's the whole, that's how you start writing a song. Like, Oh, I really like doing this. I like playing this. I like how the song is going. Let's continue with it, you know? And then all of a sudden we have a completed song that we're proud of. And we try and activate a fan base of here's a new song. I hope you guys like it. I know new is hard. New things are hard, but the fact that the fans were into pretty much every single song that was newly debuted and, you know, for better, or for worse, like some, Sometimes we brought these songs onto stage well before they were ready for prime time. And the fans were still so supportive with a track record of like, hey, like, you know, we get it. You know, you guys are trying this out and we're here to be your soundboard, you know, literally. Um, And then you could go back and work on it and we'll be here again when you guys try it again and try to improve it again. And that's a really comforting feeling. Um, So, yeah, all all these songs. Well, my guess was going to be Freeze. Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. My favorite song to see you play these days. It's always something that I feel like you, uh, in particular, get a little more unleashed on. Um, Mm. The little fills between the verses where you just drop the crazy sounds. It always is something that like... The Freeze sounds? The Freeze sounds. Yes. The Freeze sounds. Oh, that's what you like. like. Got it. Got it. Uh uh I, I, I feel like those are, you know... Every time we get to one of those moments, the entire crowd turns to you to wait to see what you're going to do. And it just always hits. Um, Mm. Incidentally, Freeze, I I think, also fits the description of a song that was debuted very early in its evolution. um, Yeah. That the first few versions were, you know, in a spirit of constructive criticism, a little rough, came in Mm. uh, second place for Song of the Year. Hmm, how about that? I mean, isn't it interesting that a, a song that is as simple as Freeze can sometimes be the hardest to execute properly, right? I mean, it really makes you think about, you know, needing to, I, I refer to it as like climb inside songs, you know, you really need to get inside and think about like, how's the song 
what is this song telling? What do I need? How do I need to help express that? What does the song need? What is it lacking? Where do I need to lean into it? What do I need to remove that, you know, let other things shine? Um, you know, these are all ways that you need to think about uh, presenting a song. And Freeze is really fucking easy, but it took us a while to kind of um, understand its intention. And the other top songs of the year it's really interesting it's a mix between new songs so deal the runaway winner 35 percent of all votes for the deal freeze in second place with 11.5 so not even close 11.5 the the deal won the deal won won. in a resounding landslide it was it was not even close i would Um, not have called that but mixed in there, I-Man, Voices, hmm. uh, Vasilios, Falling, um, you know, a mixture of new songs and old. And that's another great, hmm. uh, a great indicator of where the band is at, where songs that you guys have been playing since, I don't know, 1997, 98, are as fresh as songs that were debuted in the last 12 months and are equally captivating to the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, to wrap things up, what do you have in store for us in 2024? Give us a few hints about what we can expect from the band and and specifically from you. Well, we have a, a writing session coming up, you know, this weekend, right? So, uh, you know, granted, we haven't even dropped this album <laughs> that we've been playing all these yes. songs from, you know? So there's still um, an album that hasn't been released. There's still a whole storyline you know i know like fans have kind of been picking up on what's happening within these songs and there's theories and you know there's some characters that people are picking up on but you know this is a very well thought out uh you know plot line and the stories that are told through lyrics are spot on um and will eventually tell that story in its entirety in 2024 at the same time, we're continuing to write, you know, we've kind of figured out this like writing process that really is working well for us. And step number one of that is showing up and making the time, you know, to do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't think we apply any real pressure, right? Like we're, we're showing up and, you know, sometimes we come in with song ideas. Sometimes we know what we need to accomplish, right? For the rock opera, I'll go off on a tangent for a bit on, on the rock opera, you know, we had specific tasks, you know, we needed to write, um, whatever Spaga's last stand, like was, you know, one of the last songs written, like we knew what it was about. Um, you know, I knew what I wanted it to sound like. I tried a couple of things that wasn't it, you know, tried a couple of things that like was more it, um, and then kind of like nailed it with the help of listening to Harold Faltemeyer's Axel F. I was like, that's the vibe I want to tap into. And I feel like we successfully did that. Um, so, you know, in conjunction with releasing these songs that haven't come out yet and the whole story of the space opera, we're going to start writing and continuing to do that. You know, we, we were being paid in dividends, you know, just with By the Time and Photograph, which also came out of one writing session. Um, you know, and again, it takes some time, right? You get like the basic boilerplate of what the song is going to be. And then you kind of like do another demo of it. You try it out in rehearsal, you try it out on stage. And then, you know, it takes half a dozen performances to kind of like get it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there'll be more of 
those songs um you know just like random songs of stuff that we did either in our home studio or you know getting together for a little bit and i I feel like that's important for us and for the fan base and it feels good now that we figured out some sort of like system um that we know has proven results and we can just repeat that um you know i hope i'm not jinxing anything because it is very possible that you you know come together for a writing session and nothing good happens you know that's possible. We haven't well, experienced it yet, but um, it's possible. Well, with the new collaborators you guys are working on, with the new energy that you and John are bringing to things, um, it, it seems like you guys are on a winning streak that yeah. uh, just keeps rolling. You know, the last three yeah. new songs, Falling by the Time and Photograph, each have become significant parts of the repertoire since their debuts. So yeah, it only seems like we can hope to see more of that going forward. And I'm I'm really excited to hear you've got additional writing sessions planned for the next few weeks. A lot of touring next year. A lot of touring. A lot. A lot of driving, a lot of shows. And uh, this is is what we were hoping for. It's going to be a very busy first quarter of the year. So, But a good one. Good and busy. In a a very good way. Cold, good, and busy. Cold, Cold, good, good, and and busy. And very expensive for those of us going to a lot of shows. Aaron, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us on Touchdowns All Day. Max, it's been a pleasure. And welcome back to Touchdowns All Day, the podcast. With your host, John Barber and Max Dawson, we are elated that Aaron Magner was so candid about what should be trade secrets for him. (laughs) (laughs) Now you guys know how the sausage is made. (laughs) Can we have like a no keyboard play, like a keyboard player, like randomly can't download episode 51 for some odd reason? Like what's. We'll get some kind of Facebook filter. The guy from Goose like suddenly has all sorts of new sounds in his rig. I don't like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he could have all sorts of like drum samples and stuff in his rig. Would be amazing. Yeah, you just gave away the whole thing. The the, the side chain. You explained how, the ducking and everything. So, cats out of the bag. Disco biscuits will be one of uh, dozens of jam bands on the scene in 2024 playing the exact same sounds. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, guys, I don't know about you, but I, I was in heaven hearing Magner talk about his craft, talk about all that stuff. And, uh, hopefully you enjoyed it as much as John and I did. I mean, John gets to play with him every day and John didn't know half of this stuff. I didn't know half of this stuff. And I, you know, we've been talking to him about, you know, let's do risers and stuff like that. And he's got to be comfortable with it. It's, and it's interesting from my point of view to hear, how he like solved all those problems in his like kind of, you know, keyboard player way because he can't just throw a riser in a sequencer, you know, he's got to have it control of it that matches what the band is doing on the fly. When's Allen coming out of that fill? We don't necessarily know. Um, and it, it does take you by surprise and he needs to be able to make quick, so quick, like, does he cat like reflexes with those things? So it's interesting for me 
how detailed and how inter- how like intricate his solution to that problem was. Well, like the Baba G set that we talked about earlier, you guys are simultaneously playing live improvisational music and operating multiple computers and electronic devices. It's a yeah. pretty impressive feat when you start to get a peek behind the curtain and hear how these guys do it. Um, you know, John, during that segment, we we talked a lot about some of the most exciting moments of the year. Of course, episode 50, Brownie came on and talked about the fan poll. Uh, still haven't gotten your reaction to the song show and jam of the year. First, I just let's run through the the winners real quick. The deal. Song of the year 2023. It came as no surprise to anyone who's been paying attention this year that the deal was the song. But I just want to hear from you, the the songwriter. How's it feel to to know that that song came on so strong and had such a major impact this year? It's interesting because when we wrote the deal, uh, we knew that it was in kind of a hot seat as far yeah. as the space opera. And I was nervous going into the studio the day we wrote that song. The original riff was written by my kid, River. Excuse me? Um, yeah, River wrote that line by mistake. Um, and I happened to be recording it. He was, I was, he was playing the synth. And I was like videoing him being like, oh, look how cute he is. And he went like, dude, dude, dude. And, and like he kind of played it. And then I was like, oh, that's good. Let me try that. And then he was like fighting me. And then we were like playing it together. And then that's how. So the two of us wrote that lick kind of together where I write with him all the time because he stayed, you know, I'm in the studio alone a lot. And then he gets, he walks in and he's like, what are you doing, dad? And then we end up writing together. We've written quite a few songs together. How many fuzzies are you? He's had, he's, he's a little songwriter yeah. in his own way. And, uh, and then I played that riff for Joey and Magner and they loved it. And, um, and then like, how do you make a song out of that? You know, like what, what is the song? It, it could go on. You could, you could make like an Armin Van Buren, like huge techno song out of that. And Joey had this let's make a deal idea lyrically that he thought really kind of spelled out the relationship between the leader of the alien ship and the band. And then how do you mix those two mm. together? I was really nervous we were going to screw it up um, because to me it was just like it didn't, I felt like the direction, like the song that I wanted to make out of the the riff that me and River wrote was called Techno King something or other and um i forget what it was but something like that and it really spoke to like this like big uh you know like 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 a tomorrow world type of techno sound and i knew that we if we did that with the biscuits it wouldn't really work because the biscuits don't really do tomorrow world style techno i wanted us to have you know a real song out of it and to the three of us really worked it over Aaron put some incredible changes in there. Mark hit the session and added some like kind of like real world groove to it. And we, I really liked the way it was going. So I was really pleasantly surprised with how it turned out. Like some days I hit the studio and I'm just like ready to write. And some days I hit the studio and I have kind of something that I need to accomplish and it has to be great. 
And so it's funny to me that the, there was so much nervous energy in the deal session, and then it ended up being everybody's favorite song. And I, I was just like, wow, that's that's crazy, because that this is like the ideal, you know, thing for that song. This is the the huge fan response is something that I think make or really make or breaks the space opera, you know, yeah. and like it's dope now. Space opera's dope now because the song that, you know, is the sexy seductive song is the song that everybody loves. So I like Yeah. It. And as I mentioned before, Freeze was our runner up. And that's crazy. Right? Did you see that coming? Yes. Really? Really? Freeze has been my favorite song since 2022. Wow. I had no idea. Freeze has been so consistent since the fall of last year. Yes. It started off rough it was not finished it was a work in progress mm-hmm. but i knew from that demo what freeze was capable of and freeze achieved its destiny and the fans recognized it and in third place just a few votes behind freeze was by the time yes also a song that i'm surprised at how well it reverberated with the fans i think there was a lot of emotional things happening with life and death and people. And I think that ended up in the lyrics of by the time and people who also have experienced some, you know, life or death issues are really resonating with that song. And so it's good to have a song in the biscuit setup. That's a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper. And that that's what that song is. It has a lot of meaning to myself, Joey. And, um, and that's cool. I'm down with that. And apart from being a beautiful song with a heartfelt meaning, it evolved into the most monstrous jam vehicle. (laughs) Uh, uh, Jam of the year and show of the year, essentially, defined by, by the time. The Cap Theater, by the time Digital Buddha was overwhelmingly voted as jam of the year. And that show got the nod as show of the year, not necessarily exclusively on the strength of that jam but i I would say it had a lot to do with it so by the time um which is an uncharacteristically just sweet (laughs) biscuit song i mean compare it to the deal which is dark and dirty Mm -hmm. um you know just uh, a real study in contrasts and the fact that the same fans who love the deal who love Dribble, who love Orc, who love the nasty dark stuff, are also here for by the time is, uh, I think it's uh, it's a great representation of what 2023 has been all about, both on stage, in the music, and in and, and life in general. Some really sweet, beautiful moments, and some really intense, hard moments, and it all in the balance contributed to what was... I don't know. I I don't feel like I'm being hyperbolic saying a really significant year in the history of the band. Yeah, I feel that way as well. We accomplished a lot this year. We went through a lot this year. And um, we had a lot of shows that were really top tier quality, consistent shows. Because everybody in the band really showed up in a way that I, I you know, I was surprised to see. um and a lot of the fans showed up too. I think the pandemic created this kind of like we've lost our world type of feeling amongst everybody. And there was like a little bit of a depression in there. 
you know, whenever you go to, a, you, you have to travel for a weekend, play shows, and you have to cover your face and avoid talking to people and, and, and you're fearing that you could get this virus that could, you know, maybe it doesn't kill you, but it might screw your, what is screwing people up permanently and stuff. And the fact that when you're traveling musician, you have to take that risk every time you leave the yeah. house. Like I was like drinking vita emergencies like 10 times a day and all sorts of stuff. So it does put a little bit of a damper on the vibe, but I think 2023, everybody like loosened up a little bit and felt like, Hey, maybe we could get back to normal. And the band emoted in a lot of different songs. I mean, photograph was the first like sexy song we've written in a long time. Yeah. That was just like, let's get a hot, sweaty sex song into the set. And by the time, is a very weird chord progression for the Biscuits because it's very, very happy chords, one after another, without the like typical Biscuit Dark moment. And um, I don't know. I love songs like that. And I feel like by the time hit the hit the nail on the head, and I'm happy about that. Well, it was a remarkable year. We've got so much to look forward to in 2024. Before we wrap up for this, our last episode of the year for Touchdowns All Day, I think this is only the second episode of the year, but it's also the last. John, the fans wrote in. They had a few questions. I told them I would ask you. Oh, fine. So let's, <laughs> let's go to a little segment I want to call the Barber Chair. Barbara <laughs> dispenses with advice. Yeah. Answers your musical questions. I'm going to start off with a musical question. Scott McClintock, our, our good friend, Think Tank Dubs, wrote in and said, Every Biscuits fan I know has a song that they think the Biscuits would slay if they covered it. Mm. When the band decides to cover a song, what does that process look like? Who brings the idea? How do you decide collectively that, yeah, this is a good choice? And then how do you go about transforming someone else's song into a Biscuit song? So mm. we can use, John, we can use Right Round as our example. We could use Tribulations. We could use any of the great covers in the band's repertoire. But talk to us a little bit about the process of selecting a new cover to introduce into the band's repertoire. I prefer when other people give us the cover than for us to generate the cover because we are kind of already, we've already gone through our, we've already played all the covers, you know, that we've already done so many covers where we're like, that's good. I like it when somebody caught, like, for instance, right round, like you spin me right round, baby, right round. Steve, uh, Monster Steve called me and this was like, oh my God, this song would be great for you guys, you know? And then I, and I listened to it and it's dancey, it's singable, it's got a good set of changes and funkiness to it and it's got a little moment that could be expanded into a gym. It really yeah. had everything and it definitely is a killer cover for us. Um Tribulations was James Murphy's idea. He's like, this song would be perfect for you guys. Um, uh, excuse me? Are you serious? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he mentioned that to me when he played Camp Bisco a bunch of years ago. I forget if it was that one or Home um, that I thought he was talking about. I'm pretty sure he said Tribulations. But he was just like offhand and he was like going on stage and um, 
I was making fun of him because he was wearing all white and the festival was covered with mud. So I was busy cracking jokes. But somebody else caught what he said and basically came to me and was like, you guys should cover that tune. Um, and then we did Home instead, I think is what happened. So he told us Tribulation and then we did Home instead because we confused the two. Oops. Um, and I think both are great songs. I really like both yeah. songs. And James Murphy didn't get any mud on his shoes at Camp Pisco, which was crazy. Motherfucker was wearing all white. Um, so the joke's on you. Yeah, 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 I don't know. That was that was back in my Camp Pisco period where I insisted on on shaking the hand of every act that played the festival, like okay. like like a little mini Peach Piro or something. <laughs> and um, yeah, so the, when fans recommend covers, I always take note. I always forward them along into the uh the rest of the band to get some feedback from the rest of the guys and then you actually have to like kind of pitch them a little bit to the band in a time where people are you know kind of ready to maybe mess around with it a little bit like when we're all backstage we're killing some time good time to mess with the new cover so i would just recommend that people you know instagram us or 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 you know tweet us on x or whatever that's called nowadays where you and just tag touchdowns all day with cover idea or whatever. And we will look at it and potentially do it because, you know, like the cut, we're killing the covers. They do become biscuit songs immediately because we're just, we sound like us. I, we can't sound yeah. like another band. We've tried. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, prepare yourself to have your inboxes inundated because Scotty is not exaggerating. Literally every Biscuits fan, if you ask them, oh, what would you want to hear the band cover? They will talk your ear off for a half hour with everything ranging from classic rock, Zeppelin, Hendrix, through contemporary EDM, uh, 80s pop, synth, new wave, stuff like that. So you're going to have a lot of requests coming in. And who knows? Maybe you could... Uh, be the person who plants the seed that grows into the towering tree that is a right round. Well, John, earlier you talked about how River has been your co-writer yeah. on a number of songs yes. from the rock opera. <laughs> John Reedy wants to know, is there any children's music that you and River listen to that you actually enjoy? John himself is a dad and says he sometimes will be playing the kids' music while he's cleaning the house and find himself really getting down to it. Uh, River has a good taste in music. That's why I like writing with him. He has almost better taste than me. Um, he does like some fluffy kid stuff, but he also likes Taylor Swift. He likes, um, he likes a lot of soundtracks. To River has this uncanny ability, which I don't know what it is, but he can hear a song from a movie he wants or he likes, and he can immediately identify what scene the music is from. And he's right almost all the time. And it's wow. very weird skill because you just like you go like we drive to school in the morning. I'll just pull up the soundtrack, not the not the songs, but the actual soundtrack music from a movie that he likes. And I'll play it for him and he'll be like. Oh, this is the scene where Moana goes down to the beach, or this is the scene where Wally uh, finds the other robot and falls in love. And I'll be like, "How do you, how do you do that?" But he does that pretty consistently. So he's got a very musical head on his shoulders, and he likes listening to soundtracks. I find soundtracks interesting. We we kind of get along musically. It's pretty cool actually to have like things that you and your kid 
can enjoy together. That's great. Well, John, Dan Hobbs wants to know many songs, he says, especially the new ones, are a continual work in progress. You're constantly adding new arrangements. Yes. Um, some of the songs are dropping a, a verse or dropping a chorus. Or He wants to know, how do you know when a song is actually done? And I guess that assumes that these songs actually do get, quote unquote, finished. Mm-hmm. They never get finished. You never, you don't finish art. You just move on to the next piece because, you know, there's only so much time in the day. And as an artist, it is almost your job to not really labor too hard on stuff because it's, you have to kind of leave some space in your brain for you to get excited about what the next thing is going to be. Um, so yeah, I, I wish I was more of a finisher on songs. I definitely recognize that that's not my forte. Um, I That's why I invo- involve other people in the project. Mark and Aaron are much better at finishing the songs than I am. Joey's better at it. Um, I'm really good at starting the song, at getting something popping that everybody's excited about and they want to write over. And I enjoy doing that. So I'll do that. And then the second I'm done with that, I will start doing it again on something else. Um, I wish that like things fell to get like when I hear other, like I hear like Bob Marley demos, like before the album and the lyrics are perfect and exactly the way they are in the album. I get so like jealous. They're like, where's the Bob Marley? I'm working out the lyrics version of the song, you know? So, but I think that maybe that's their process. Maybe Bob was starting with, lyrics and then adding guitar he's starting with a poem yeah. you know i think jerry started with a poem a lot i think bob dylan started with a poem a lot when you do yeah. that the lyrics are pretty set in advance we don't necessarily start with a poem very often and i used to start with a poem a little bit more but when you start with the music you you're rewriting the lyrics constantly and that's basically what we do you know and then and then when you rewrite the lyrics it demands changes in the music at that point Yeah. Well, John, as we bring this episode and the year to a close, I, I've got a question for you. And it's a question that I asked Mark in episode 50. I asked Aaron earlier in this episode. And that is, when you look back on 2023, what are some of the memories that you're going to hold most fondly? I mean, I got married in 2023. I'm definitely going to remember the wedding. Um and my father passed away in 2023. I'm definitely going to remember our, our last conversation, which was before he died, but it was very uh, uniquely emotional that I hung up the phone and was like, I even said to myself, like, oh, that might be the last time I ever talked to him. Wow. Because I was on tour and he called me up in the middle of the day. It was very, he doesn't really do that very often. And yeah, he was like almost crying. And I was just like, wow. And then, and I, we didn't realize how, how uh, advanced his illness was and the doctors didn't even realize it. So it was just kind of one of those things. Um, so those were big things for 2023 for me. Uh, musically, there were a lot of high points. I definitely am going to remember the West Coast tour, like just how well received it was, like all those packed rooms, all those faces of people that I haven't seen since the last time we were there. Um, you know, 
I had a great 2023, uh, The Very Moon, I'm going to remember. That was a very unique and special experience for us. Um, but mostly, you know, I spent, uh, the, I did exactly what I wanted to do when I was like, yeah, I should be a musician again. I sat in the studio with my guys and we just made song after song after song. And that is uh, such a pleasure for me. It's such a, it's a wonderful and amazing thing that I'm allowed to do. I really appreciate all the fans out there who give us this opportunity because it's, uh, we really made, we really took full advantage of it this year. We really like overdid it this year. You know, we sat in the studio without fail. I probably wrote 45 songs this year. If you include all the very moon songs. Yeah. And, um, and I have a pile of stuff that is sort of, teed up for 2024 um so i don't know that's it was a great year it was a really amazing up and down year and um yeah and the fans were so great i mean we had such cool shows everywhere we went so yeah it was it was special what are you most excited about for the disco biscuits in 2024 i'm excited because in 2023 we started to have very productive conversations about the sound of the band with Rich, our front of house guy, with the other members of the band, with Brian on stage, with the crew. We were able to have these really, really productive conversations that ended up in all these tractor beam style jams that everybody loves. And, you know, Aaron's obviously his awesome button and it showed up in the songs. It showed up in the studio. And I think that the band sound is actually going to get massively huge in 2024 because we slayed a lot of the dragons that were holding us back in 2023. And now we have this space to create what the new sound of the band is going to be, which is going to be, you know, for me, it's very interesting because it's, it's not like we're creating the sound and then playing it for people. We're kind of doing it in conjunction with the fan base. Because there's a lot of fan comments that get thrown into the conversation about the sound. And so it's interesting because there's a more brain power when the fans are involved going into the end result. You know, it's almost like a better end result because there's more feedback. There's more interested parties who are getting their voices heard in how we're presenting the music. And I really like this. You could never do this when we started the band. You could never have this level of conversation amongst people with the amount of technology that we have. So I'm pretty psyched about that. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're just going to play some great music. At the end of the day, we're I mean, 34 shows, dude. Like, that, we're, we're going to be loose and ready to jam through that tour. I mean, those are potentially going to be the best biscuit shows ever, you know? So I'm excited about that. Well, John, you said a lot there, and I want to just emphasize one point, that conversation, the fans in the band, keep that conversation alive. That's part of what we're doing here at Touchdowns All Day. So make sure to tweet at us, hit us up on Instagram, John's Barber Shreds on all platforms. I'm FY Maxwell on all platforms. Use the hashtag Touchdowns All Day. Visit us on the web at touchdownsallday.com. Touchdowns All Day is an Osiris Media production produced by Crunk Mike at Osiris Media, executive producer, Dr. Vic Sobti. Got sound mixing, telescope audio. We've got our design team, Matt Munz and Will Szanski. 
The website, Christian Cortez, photographers Dave Van, Andrew Blackstein, Sam Silkworth, Sean Gillis. We've got our street team, Nicole St. Jones, Jesse Boya, Anna Lauren, Mike Walsh, Chris Tyrell, Kendra Lesberg, and Richard Darrell. Special thanks to the band, Aaron Magner especially, Andy Bazzani and Mike Walsh at the Biscuits Internet Project, Rich Steele for hooking us up with all the sounds, and Scott McClintock, Think Tank's dub for everything he does. On behalf of myself and John, well, actually, I'll let you sign us off, John. It's your podcast. I'm just visiting. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you, Max. Thanks for coming on here and getting us going on the Touchdowns All Day podcast. I'm super excited that we're jamming these episodes out because it's 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 the vibe of the band now is that we all do it together you know that's the vibe and i love it it makes me happy and i'm happy to have you aboard and um i'm excited to see what happens with this podcast over the coming months as well because you know the when the podcast is going strong it is super it's great entertainment i mean it's just really fun entertainment and it's fun to make so i'm excited about it Everybody, thanks for listening to Touchdowns All Day Podcast. For your host, Max Dawson, and myself, John Barber, have a shiny day. See you later. We're mass communicating. We're mass communicating.